Well, good morning again, and happy Easter to you. Whether this is your first time here or whether you've been attending RBC for quite some time, I'm thankful you've decided to join us on Easter Sunday. And anytime I have the opportunity to open up God's word with God's people, I always think it's an honor and a privilege to do so. But I especially enjoy the honor of doing that on Easter Sunday. <clears throat> but one of the challenges that I face year by year coming into Easter and Christmas too, for that matter, is deciding exactly how to approach the holiday. That's, of course, I know what topic we're going to talk about today, but exactly which text or how to talk about it is not quite so obvious to me. And this year was no different. So over the last week or two, I've, I've actually worked through four different options of what we were going to do today for this morning's sermon. But in, in the end, as I told my wife, I simply decided to preach someone else's sermon. Now, if that causes you angst to hear that, she was in deep distress when I told her this. That is, until I told her that what I really wanted to do today was to work through the very first recorded sermon of Paul. It, it was something he preached less than 20 years after the death of Jesus. Or, put it this way, it was within 20 years of Easter Sunday. This is the message that he preached. I want us to look at how he told the story of the Bible and how he told the story of Easter Sunday. So one of the main things I hope you'll see today is that not much has changed. The good news that Paul announced so many years ago is the same thing we announce here week after week here at RBC. And so I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to that sermon. It's found in the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. You've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you have the book of Acts. And the sermon we're going to look at today is found in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. So you can go there. The, kind of what's going on in Acts chapter 13, you've got Paul, the Apostle Paul, and his good friend Barnabas have just been sent out as missionaries. They had been serving together in their home church for a good while, about a year, and in their home church in a place called Antioch, which is the Antioch that was in Syria. But, but now they've been commissioned to go out to new cities where next to no one has ever heard about Jesus, about who he is or about what he's done. And they've been sent out to go tell people in those new cities about Jesus. Now, I want to get the details of it right from, from the text. And so you can look at Acts chapter 13, verse 13. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Now, Perga, so we're going to go back and forth with this story today. Perga is, is actually right next, right next door to where our gospel partners are today. So our gospel partners that we support were worshiping Jesus earlier today because <laughs> uh, it's like eight hours in front of us. Uh, right there, right next door to Perga. And I don't know if Joel remembers this, but last October we walked through that city for a couple of hours through Perga. Okay, so, so Paul and Barnabas, they come in there and they had another guy with them at the time. His name was John, or we know him better as John Mark. 
And look what happens. This is verse 13 again. This, and John, or John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why, but for some reason, John Mark, who's a younger man, he's, he's a relative of Barnabas, he, he left the mission and he went home. Yeah. Now, verse 14. But they, that is Paul and Barnabas, went on from Perga and they came to Antioch. But notice what it says, to Antioch in Pisidia. Okay. Now, why does it say that? Because it wants you to know this is a different Antioch than their home church. Okay. There were many, many Antiochs. There were like 10 in the first century. And so they go to a different one, okay, to Antioch in Pisidia. This is in the region of Galatia. And this is the city they wanted to get to. Okay. So now it's Saturday. It's the Sabbath day. And in that city, there is a large Jewish synagogue. So verse 14, again. Okay, so Acts 13, 14. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of that synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people say it. And now there's a lot more I wish we knew about how that all went down that day. But, but I mean, that is God throwing open a door, right? For the way, like if you've ever seen a story where God opened up a door for someone to tell people about Jesus, that's it, right? I mean, they say to these two guys, brothers, if you, if you have anything you want to say to us, this, this day, just go ahead and tell us. Right. Now, what would you say? You're sitting there in the audience. Yeah. And then you're given this incredible opportunity to say anything you want to say. What would you do? Okay. Verse 16. So, so Paul stood up, because he had been sitting, and motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel... And you who fear God, listen. That's the setting for the sermon. Okay, so you got it in your mind? It's the, it's the year 48 AD, within 20 years of the time that Jesus roamed the countryside of Judea. Paul has a large group of Jewish worshipers in front of him. But there's also, you notice, a bunch of God-fearing Gentiles. There too. So those are people who are not Jewish, but who are interested. Interested enough to come to the Jewish synagogue on a Saturday to hear from the Jewish scriptures and to learn more about the God of Israel. And these people might be just like some of you here this morning who perhaps aren't really sure you know, what you think about God or the Bible, yet you were interested enough to come today on Easter Sunday to hear something from the Bible, to hear some more about the God of this book. And Paul stands up in front of everyone and does a few, a, a few hand gestures, I'm not sure what they were, and gets everybody's attention. And he says, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. Okay, now for the sermon. Paul starts with a story. And I want to listen to the story today, okay? Paul tells the story of the Old Testament. 39 books 
He tells it in six verses. Okay? So learn how he tells the story. Okay, I'm gonna, for this part, I'm going to put it up uh, on the screen so you can uh, follow along. Okay? So verse 17, this way it says, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers. Now, who are those fathers, do you suppose? Can you name one of them? Abraham. Those would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, also known as the patriarchs. So the story Paul's telling is going to be the story of the Bible. And the opening line is more or less a summary, one-line summary, of the first book of the Bible, from Genesis 12, at least, to chapter 50. And the story of Israel always looks back to this. God chose the fathers. Okay. Now here's where I think it would be helpful to, to just for me to say what everyone there knew, okay? which was that the God who called the fathers in Genesis 12 was the God of Genesis 1 through 11. Okay. They all knew that. Okay. In other words, there is no doubt which God Paul is talking about when he says this. The God of Israel is the God of Genesis 1 through 11, or the God who made the world and everything in it, the God who spoke the world into existence. The God of Israel is the God of our first parents, Adam and Eve, the God who they rebelled against, the very God who expelled them from the garden and who brought a curse on the world. It's the same God. That God is the God who called the fathers in Genesis 12, okay? Now the story continues, and he goes to the, the, next, the next line. He says, and he made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, okay? That one line summarizes 400 years, okay? okay? God called the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then maybe you might remember Jacob has 12 sons, one of those sons, Joseph, is sent down to Egypt. He is used to save the line, and then all the people end up in Egypt. And Paul says, here's what happened over the next 400 years. There got to be a lot more of them during that time. Okay, that's, and, and one of the things that happened is God also raised up a man named Moses. So you can read about that in the book of Exodus. Next line. And with uplifted arm, God led them out of it. That describes one of the most amazing things that has ever happened in the world. The time when God heard the cries of his oppressed people and when God lifted up his arm and struck Pharaoh and the Egyptians and delivered his people out of Egypt. All right, next line. I like this one. He says, and for about 40 years, God put up with them in the wilderness. Because this is Paul, a Jewish man, talking mostly to Jewish people. And this is how he describes that 40 years. God put up with them in the wilderness. That's the story all the way from Exodus 16 to the end of the fifth book of the Bible, the end of Deuteronomy. Then, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, the promised land, God gave them their land as an inheritance. That is the whole book of Joshua. Okay, that Phil spent a year. Took him a year. <laughs> Paul does that in one sentence. Okay. Okay. Now, at this point, 
I don't know if he would have noticed this, but it's interesting in how Paul's telling the story that he's talking about all of this stuff as the stuff that God did. In other words, he's describing Israel, but he's not really focused on what Israel did. Every line so far is about what God did, right? Like, God lifted up his arm. God led them out of Egypt. God put up with them in the wilderness. God, after God destroyed seven nations, God gave them their land as an inheritance, which is maybe just a good reminder to us that even in the telling of the story of the Bible, you find out maybe the Bible's not primarily about us and what we've done. It's about God and what God has done. And this seems to be how Paul's telling the story. And then he says, and all that took about 400 50 years. Because that's like from the time Joseph went down to Egypt all the way until they got to the land. Now, next line, verse 20. And after that, God gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Again, that describes hundreds of years right there. That's the entire book of Judges and more. Verse 21. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. Okay, so after all these years, this is where the story is going. It's going to this, this text here. Okay. After all these years, Israel wanted a king. And so God gave them what they wanted. Which, if that happens in the Bible, it's not a good thing. God gives you what you want, not a good thing. God gave them Saul. But even though Saul was the king they wanted... Saul was not the king they needed. And so Paul says in verse 22, and when God had removed Saul, God raised up David to be their king, of whom God testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Now in contrast to Saul, David was not the king Israel would have picked. In fact, as we read earlier this morning, if you remember the text I read earlier, even the prophet Samuel, who was really good at seeing stuff, didn't see it coming. He thought he saw other guys from David's family. He's like, hey, that guy looks like a king. He, even he didn't see it. Because God wasn't looking at the outward appearance like everybody else did. God was looking at the heart, and he found in David a man after his own heart. That right there is the story of the Old Testament in this sermon. Okay? That's, the whole, that's the whole thing. It took him six verses to tell the story of the first nine books of the Bible, to tell a story that took place over the course of a thousand plus years, from Father Abraham to David the king. Now, here's the thing. Okay. Almost everyone there that day, if not every single person there that day, who was hearing this sermon knew that story inside and out. There's not one thing there that was new to them. Okay, they all would have known this already. Okay. But they didn't know the next line. Okay? Verse 23. Of this man's offspring... God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Paul skips about 30 Old Testament books 
and about a thousand years to take us from David the king to Jesus the Savior. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel's Savior, Jesus. God promised David that one day, someday, he would raise up a son of David who would be even better than David, a son who would be able to rescue not just Israel but the world. And it took longer than anyone anticipated. It took about a thousand years. But then one day, at just the right time, God brought to Israel a Savior just as he had promised. And the name of that Savior, Paul says, was Jesus. And this is what that crowd did not know. They knew the other stuff. They knew the first part of the story, but they did not know the second. They had seen the shadows, but they did not see the substance, right? They, had, they, they knew the promises, but they did not know about the fulfillment of them because they didn't know Jesus. And so now Paul moves from the story of the Old Testament to the story of Jesus. Okay? And for this part, you can just go back to your text okay? and just listen to how Paul tells the story of Jesus. Verse 24. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Now, do you realize that that is how every one of the four Gospels starts? Everybody that wants to tell the story of Jesus tells it this way. They tell us about John, the baptizer, and what he did. How he came to get the people ready for the coming of the king. He went around telling everybody to repent of their sins, to, which is to say to turn away from their other gods, from chasing after their own selfish dreams, and to get their hearts ready for the coming of the king. And, and Paul says, as John was finishing his mission, he told everyone, I am not the one you're looking for, but there's somebody coming after me who's so much better than me that I'm not even worthy to get down and untie his sandals. Now to the turning point in the sermon, verse 26. Brothers, so he, he says again, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Now, if you didn't know that, what would you think about that? I mean, these people come to the Sabbath, or on the Sabbath, to the synagogue, week by week, and they read those prophets. And they know what those prophets were saying. And now Paul says, listen, brothers, over in Jerusalem, less than 20 years ago, the king came. And our rulers didn't know who he was. 
even though they, they, they came on the Sabbath and they read the prophets week by week, when he came, they couldn't see it. But they fulfilled the prophecies anyway. How? By condemning him to death. Look at verse 28 again. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate, the Roman governor, to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. What is that? What story is that? That is the story of Good Friday. Though they found in Jesus no guilt worthy of death, they killed him anyway. They hung him on a tree, on a cross, until he died. And then they took him down and they put the king in a tomb. And all of it was written beforehand in our scriptures. That's the story of Good Friday. Jesus the just was killed unjustly, crucified not for his own sins. He came to his own people, but his own people just didn't want him. He was not the kind of king they wanted. Up until this point, none of that is good news. Right? In fact, that's all shockingly sad news. I can't even get my mind in what it would be like to have heard that for the first time. Good Friday seems really bad, actually. And on Saturday... The Sabbath, there's silence and sadness. But then comes Sunday, verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. And that's why we're here today. Easter Sunday is what makes a terrible Friday Good Friday. On Easter morning, God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but in the last few verses, for the first time in the sermon, Paul has started to talk about what the people did. Okay, so I said at the beginning, he tells the Old Testament story, and it's all about what God did. But in the last few verses, it's all about what they did. Did you notice it? He says, they didn't recognize him. They condemned him. They carried out what was written about him. They had him executed. They took his body down. It's all about what they did to Jesus. And then suddenly, Paul announces what God did to Jesus. But God raised Jesus from the dead anyway. <laughs> In spite of what they did to him. See, on Friday, they rejected Jesus. And on Sunday, God raised Jesus. At the cross, they said to Jesus, you're wrong. And on Easter Sunday, God says to them, you're wrong. Right? At the cross, they ridiculed Jesus, saying, behold your king. And on Sunday, God says to us all, behold your king. Now for the rest of the sermon, just look at what it says, verse 30. Again, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days... Jesus appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised 
to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that God raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. God has spoke this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, God says in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, that's what David says, or for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, David fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Now we don't have time to talk through everything there. But you can see how Paul goes to the Psalms, to the prophets, and to the story of David to argue that what God did for Jesus is what he promised to do. And to argue that what God did for Jesus, God did not do even for David. Jesus is the son who is greater than David. Jesus may not have been the king we wanted, but Jesus was the king we needed. He was a king who did not conquer his enemies by crushing them with military might. He was a king who conquered by dying like a sacrificial lamb. He was a king who became one of us, who became our servant, who took our place, who laid down his life in love to save us. He was a king God simply would not leave to rot in the grave. He is the one king whom God raised from the dead. He was not what people wanted. He was what people needed. And now to the conclusion of the sermon, which is Paul's call to do something about this. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And what Paul announced almost 2,000 years ago, I still announce to you today, through this man, you can have the forgiveness of your sins. Through Jesus, you can find right standing with God. And through him, you can find freedom from the things you've never been able to find freedom from. But what does it take to find those things? It takes faith. Right? It takes trust in this man, Jesus. Like it says, by him, everyone who believes is freed and forgiven. But Paul doesn't end with that. He actually ends the sermon with a warning. Look at verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, because I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if somebody tells it to you. Be careful, Paul says, lest you be like those of old who heard about all that God was doing and they just wouldn't believe it. That was the sermon. 
What was the response to it, do you suppose? Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. I've never had anybody do that. <laughs> that sounds pretty good, right? But it's interesting. If you read the next few verses, which we won't look at today, but if you read the rest of the chapter, what you find out is that in the next seven days, the response became more and more divided. Some believed. They put their trust in that man, Jesus, and they got behind him. But many, many, probably most, rejected the message. Maybe even a lot of those who were so interested the week before. And they leave, they, it ends with them driving Paul and Barnabas out of the city because they didn't want anything more to do with those guys by the next week. See, sadly, what was said in the prophets came true. They heard what God had done, and they just wouldn't believe it, even though they were told. But for those who did believe, do you know what they got for identifying with Jesus? Because there were some. This is the start of the churches in Galatia that Paul would later write to. But do you know what they got for identifying with Jesus? They got a lot of suffering. That's what they got. A lot of suffering, a lot more than they would have got if they would have said no to Jesus. After all, if, they, if the master was treated that way, how will the servants be treated? Think of Jesus saying that. But on the other hand, what did they get? They got the forgiveness of their sins. They got freedom they had never experienced. And you look at the last verse of it, they got joy. They, they got a lot of suffering, but they got joy even in the middle of their suffering. Who do you think made the better choice? But more than that, what will you do with what God has done? We still announce today that God has done something amazing. And he is on the move today. And we tell it to people. I tell it to you. Beware lest what was said in the prophets come true again. That even though we heard it, we simply would not believe it. Let's pray. Father, would you take this story, the rehearsing of the gospel story, the story of scripture, especially the story of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and would you strengthen the faith of your people who love this message and would you bring those who have not believed it yet to believe it for their good and your glory that they might find what we have found the forgiveness of sin freedom and joy we pray this in jesus name amen